every category is relative to another, right? right. You can't have domestic <laughs> if you don't. You can't have international if you don't have domestic. And the difference is who is being placed as the center, as the normal. Right. You are listening to WRMC ninety one point one FM, Middlebury College. Hello everyone, this is the first episode of MISL, Middlebury International Student Organization radio show. And I am Rina from China. Here with me and his side today in the studio is our first guest, Arthur. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Um, hi, <laughs> thank you so much Hasai and Rina for having me in the show today. My name is Arthur Martins. I am a sophomore Feb from Brazil here at Middlebury College. And I'm also the co-president of the International Students Organization, ISO. Which is our boss. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I like to think we're all working together. <laughs> Arthur comes from Brazil. And recently he actually had a Spencer Prize speech where he talked about Brazil. Arthur, would you like to tell us a bit about that speech? Sure, yes. Um, so for the, the Spencer Prize competition, the prompt was to connect something you had learned in class to something you cared about. And during, my, during the fall, I took the seminar called Death in Latin America, and I was very surprised when one of the lectures ended up being about my hometown, Brasilia. So Brasilia is the capital of Brazil, and it's a, a very interesting story because it was built from scratch during the 1950s. Uh, so it's a very recent city, and it, it has a lot of personal connection to me because my grandma she left the countryside of the country to build that capital, right? And so oh. what, what I, I'm saying about, what I'm talking about in my speech is how learning about that story in an academic context, you know, a story that was coming from this other place that there wasn't the stories that I heard from my grandma right. um, and how, I, how could I reconciliate those or... You know, they, they also had very different messages where on, on my grandma's side it was a lot about hope and about survival and about overcoming challenges. And the one I was learning in the classroom was really about, yeah, this was a bad idea. This, this <laughs> oh, really wow. created a lot of complications. It really messed up a lot of different things. Um, and I mean, I knew all of that, of course, because my country is a mess, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was generally what this speech was about, and with the takeaway being we need to look into these narratives, these personal narratives, and learn from them and learn from love and, mm -hmm. and sort of incorporating them into our everyday everything. Yeah, I think I find it also so interesting when you hear people talking about your country and it's in a very different life from the one that you knew. Because even though, oh, for yeah. example, you knew that maybe Brasilia had some complications, hearing it in like a very different setting from people who've probably never been there, it like takes away this like personal touch that you have with it and makes it seem kind of like a far away place rather than a place where actual people live, right? For sure. And what was it like growing up in like this new capital city of your country yeah. that your grandma helped build? It's, it's a very unique city, so it's shaped like a plane. Um, or a bird, I guess. Not Superman. Um, <laughs> but definitely. So it's 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 very planned, very organized things. But you know, it ends up 
has a lot of nice architecture that they built, very modernist style. Mm -hmm. But also, it's kind of artificial. You know, they're just like these huge avenues, and it's hard to get by without a car.、Mm -hmm. And outside the part that's、um, that's protected as a world heritage. That's the original part of the city.、Mm. Things also just grew normally, so you have、right. these patchworks of、mm. of different sorts of people and living arrangements、oh. that are that are not as meticulously planned as this central part. Because、mm. you never hear about Brasilia if you think about Brazil. People just talk about like Rio and São Paulo. Yeah, totally.、Mm. Yeah. Would you recommend people to visit? Um, not actually. No, <laughs> don't come. I mean, come by. I'll take you to. I mean, my favorite bar just got cl just closed, so I can't even take you there. Um, no, it's a, it's a, it's like, it's mostly civil servants and old people,、um, like politicians oh, and stuff. Oh, kind、so、of like it, Washington D.C. Yeah, in a way. Um,、okay. so it's only the city that's the capital, Kalamata, and its own district. Essentially, what I'm saying is, there's not a lot of fun stuff to do. It's hard being young in that city. <laughs> <laughs> Because Arthur is the co-president of ISO, which is also the biggest student organization on campus,、oh, with、true? the most number of members. Yeah, we are the largest cultural organization,、oh. yes, but the second、Oops. largest overall.、Oh. But speaking of being a leader, we were wondering. What is it like to be the co-president of such a huge organization with like a big significance to a lot of people on campus? Because I think a lot of international students really look to this place to look to find a home, I guess, or a place of belonging. And you've really done a lot of things to make ISO a much bigger presence on campus this year with all the events that you've been organizing and all the initiatives you've taken. Mm. So how is、Including、it like? Including this radio show. Exactly, guys. Well, I think first of all,、um, it's important to come out and say that it's really been a team effort, right? I think it takes a village and it takes a global village、um, to to put forward what we have been doing, right? When we came、um, into this position, there were only five of us in the board. During our first meeting in early September, we would be able to look and say, you know, it's March. This is where we are.、Mm. We have done events that have engaged over fifteen hundred people on campus. We are now we're now, as you said, one of the largest orgs, and and we have so many moving parts and so many things、mm. working together. And it's really, I think, it's a collective effort. And what really mesmerizes me and really makes me proud of being in 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 this organization is how devoted. People are to our mission and、mm. to our values. That the people working with us, the people that are, you know, at the forefront of doing our activities, our programs, our events,、um, they really believe that what we're doing is improving, is making a a change in our community. And so I think that's definitely one of the greatest motivators of of being in in ISO to me. And what has been like the proudest thing that you've Pushed ISO to do on this campus. Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a big <laughs> question. I think, I mean, we've really done so much,、um, especially after the fall. Just putting together the the international weekend that was a pioneering、mm -hmm. initiative for us. 
in working with 13 other organizations and college offices, you know, the special menus in the dining hall, the ISO show, which I was directing. Um, and, and you were performing. It was a very good performance. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, so that was very important. And I think now the projects, at least, that I have been spearheading, uh, we all take different initiatives. Uh, it's also very autonomous in that sense. But also the International House that has been um, the latest project that we've been working mm-hmm. on. And I think that is having and will have a very big impact yeah. on, on the outlook of, of the Middlebury International community. And what do you want, what kind of role do you want that house to be for? Because some people had the doubt of like, if you have international house, maybe it's just a place where international students kind of clump together and then it will in a way kind of deter the mission from mm-hmm. being like showing the diversity to Middlebury community. Mm-hmm. And like becoming too isolationist. Yeah. And exclusive to other people on campus. Yeah, I think that's a very valid concern. I think it's part of a broader rhetoric that has been spewed over and over again whenever culturally affiliated housing has been proposed on campus. You know, there has been a lot of pushback in the past with, there still is, um, with Polana and, Mm. you know, these ideas of, oh no, it's self-segregation, right? You're just, Mm. um, you're, you're advocating to have your own space so that you don't get to interact with the other people. I think there is something to that argument, but I think it's looking at the 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 core through the wrong perspective. I think the question is not, oh, Hasai, you're you're self-segregating, you want to live in your own space, that's bad, come together, we're all gonna live together, Mm -hmm. integrated, Mm -hmm. and we're all gonna engage with each other that way. I think that's really placing a burden on whoever feels that they need to step back, that they need to be there in the middle, and that's what what it's not comfortable for me. I think instead that the question is, well, why is it that we have groups on campus that feel that they need a special space for them? Mm. And the answer is because the supposedly common space is not, in fact, accessible, right? It's not, mm. it's not catering, it's not celebrating, it's not being a fulfilling community. In right. fact, I would go as far as saying that there is no Middlebury College community. The only thing that really ties us all together here as a as the 2,500 of us, is that we study in this institution. That's the only thing. And if that makes us a, and if that makes us a community, it's a very weak community, which is exactly then coming to what the house is supposed to stand for, and, and I believe and the core beliefs that we wanted to put the house to live by and to uphold that is, it's intentional community, right? right? We're there not united by the fact that we're international. Because what is that even, you know? We come from over 70 countries and territories. We have wildly different cultures and life experiences. And yet we're just this bunk, this bulk, right? International students. Right. And when you look at the definition of it, you see that it's actually, it's, it's doubly problematic, and on one side, it really just looks at your passport and whether you're a permanent resident of the U.S. or not, mm. uh, which is very limiting on, on many, many ways, but it's also understood as a race, mm. right? And it's so absurd to think, mm. um, you know, just looking at the three of us here in this room, we're all international. <laughs> right. I don't think anyone looking at us would say we're, in this, we're the same race. Right. And yet, I think statistically and, and perhaps even more literally that's how we're treated some right. sometimes and so intentional community for us in the house means 
Well, it's not about our identities per se. It's about a, com a shared commitment, a shared belief of engaging with differences, of celebrating right. them, of, of yeah. thinking, hey, Hasai, tell me about how things are, you know, in Kenya, what's up? And, yeah. and, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> and, and learning from that uh, because I'm genuinely interested and yeah. creating that bond of genuine interest of exchange that is intentional community making and yeah. that's what we want the house to stand for mm. i think uh, i agree that with was you. beautiful yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know what to say but <laughs> i think it's like it's also a very different experience speaking with international students as an international student versus speaking with like not natives but domestic students as an international student because I don't know, I think the way in which we look at difference is very different from how domestic students look at difference, you know? Mm. And it, it's, so. in those spaces, you don't really feel celebrated. It's more like you feel othered, like, mm. oh, wait, what? That's how things are in Kenya, more than in oh. w with conversations with international students. Like, oh, yeah, it is different as well. Like, there's a mm. lack of recognition that difference exists sometimes with domestic students as compared with international students. Yeah, mm. I like that. And I think all, oftentimes there's like this added responsibility on people who are not right. lo domestic to like kind of explain themselves right. or represent right. who they are. Yeah. The whole country. And like, I'm like, I don't know yeah. what all of China is, how China is dealing with like, for example, coronavirus. Because I haven't been there for the past seven months. So like, right. if in class people start talking about topics like that, I'm like, don't look at me. I hate that. <laughs> I hate when they start talking about something and then they make eye contact with me and I'm like, whoa. Yeah, it's a, it's exactly. a sort of tokenism, right? It's a, yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's part of it too. I mean, just even, you know, if we're, if we're going to go all in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Um, I mean, what is... What is a domestic student even, right? I think it's a, mm. it's a joke we, we, we tell ourselves a lot, especially during the activity sphere, is that we're trying to get people to sign up, you know, and to, to get interested in our activities and to engage with all the programming that we're doing. And people, the first thing that they say is, oh, but I'm not an international student, oh, you know. Um, yeah. And then we turn to each other and say, yes, you are. You're international to us, right? <laughs> And, and yeah. what, what is there is this idea that every category is relative to another, right? right. You can't have domestic <laughs> if you don't, you can't have international if you don't have domestic. And the difference is who is being placed as the center, as the normal, right? Oh. right? right. And so that's why we're internationals here, but back home, you know, if if this people would come to, to me in Brazil, all, all, everyone around would be like, oh yeah, gringos, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, definitely foreigners and, and internationals. So it's really then about asking, and it goes back to your point of that we feel this pressure to, to perform diversity, right? Mm -hmm. We're here to enlighten you, to right. offer you the perspective so that you can look at yourself and say, oh, I went to an institution that offered me a global education. Right, um, right. And and then it's asking, okay, well, but then there are certain experiences that are being valued more, right? And it's mm -hmm. what's being put as the center, as the normal, as what's most valuable to be is being white, it's being able, it's mm. being straight, it's being cis, it's being domestic in our context, right? And so I think also the house at, is asking 
how can we trouble that? How can we mm. really get people to care and to engage beyond these? I think it's it's a conversation, right? It's about meeting halfway. It's not saying, hey, you go out there, you know, you can't have your space, go assimilate, to go do your right, thing, go right. do, go perform. Mm -hmm. And it's not us saying, yeah, we're in our space now and we're not going to do anything, you know, you come to us. And so I think it's really about finding this, this midway where there's common engagement. Mm -hmm. Although I think that on our part, we've been doing the Lord's work and, <laughs> <laughs> and we've, we've gotten the lion's share of putting out things. You know, this is not only ISO, this is every cultural organization on campus. This is living this, this paradigm of, okay, what, what is our org for? Is it just so we can cater to the people that identify with us mm. and we're doing programs for them? Or is it to get everyone to sort of engage and care? And that is the biggest challenge that we have faced and I think that we will continue to face. But it's a good challenge because it inspires us to find the solutions, these initiatives, these opportunities to say, yes, th this is the reality, but here is how we see it changing. Mm. And the house, going back to it, it's really this next piece of, mm. of saying, okay, here's a new strategy, here's what we think. So Carnaval, as you know, it's this big celebration in Brazil. And it was just two weeks ago um, that we had it. Um, it was actually, I think, the week, of, the week prior to Winter Carnival. Mm -hmm. um, so it ends, we're a very Catholic country, right? So it ends on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Oh, and, you know, and Carnaval is then the celebration of the flesh, of bodies, of, you know, yeah, promiscuity, it's about liberation, it's about eating and and binging and yes, all the all that. <laughs> all uh, the things in life. Uh, all, yeah, the sins. pleasures, exactly. <laughs> it's about living the pleasures, the sins, and then bam, Lent. And then you chill a little bit and, until God dies and resurrects. So this song, <laughs> I went on a religious Catholic rant, <laughs> but this song, um, it's really capturing these vibes of Carnaval in the city of Salvador, which is in the northeast of Brazil, and that is the greatest place. It's such a good city. It's such a good place to be. And it's also a big representative of the Afro-Brazilian culture, um, because it was really the, the, the site where well, you know, the enslaved people were coming through the country. Oh. Um, so it's, it's, it's created a very rich culture mm. in that way. And that song is that. It's to dance. It's to have fun. Let's do it. What happens is that there are the big trucks, right? The, the mm. sound trucks going mm. by. And you have up to a million people wow. on the streets. Oh. Following the truck. Oh, wow. And on top of the truck are people like Yvette Sangal. And she's just singing, oh. and people are down there dancing oh. and, and drinking beer, and that's kind of all. <laughs> that's so fun. That's so good. Yeah. I was I was in Salvador. Um, really? Over Is it kind of scary though? During like, summer. What if a stampede happens? You know? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean totally. I mean you can barely move. It's just right. So packed. Do you know the cartoon Rio mm -hmm. with the birds? Is it at all like represent? 
representative of like So there are the various manifestations of Carnaval in Brazil. So like mm -hmm. the the Rio one is really focused on the Rio, Samba Schools say. Parade. So that's, you have these samba schools that are, you know, associations and organizations that they spend the whole year composing oh, music, right. making, um, so Carnaval then, it's a parade, right? So mm -hmm. you have the, the cars, the allegory card, cars, you have, a, you have a plot, they're telling a story, mm -hmm. and then you have the people parading, dancing, um, so that's more the Rio style. Mm -hmm. And then the Salvador style, is more what I've said, like this party mm. um, on the streets, party, really music, really right. dancing. Um, costumes, I've seen the costumes, the costumes are so crazy. Yeah. And then, yeah, back home it's, mo it's mostly like kind of this, but just it's not so centralized. Mm -hmm. It's more like neighborhood events, you know, people just congregate and, mm -hmm. and listen to music and chill. Like there's one right next to like in, on my block that's no. organized by the people that live on the, on the on the blocks right. around and then you know my mom goes with my with my grandmother and my my sister and they're all just chilling and playing music and it's I really it's really chill there are a lot of ways to to do it mm -hmm. i always when i hear that i always feel like i wish i'm from a country that like celebrates like that like people go out and dance like that mm. we just eat when we celebrate <laughs> Oh, you have televised military parades. <laughs> <laughs> That's worth something. Não aceitou nosso fim. Tá desesperado falando de mim. Tá me queimando por aí. Meu nome na sua boca anda bem doce. E quem ouve The song that you were just listening to is called Sing Sao from Brazil. It's a type of Brazilian country music. And Arthur would like to tell us a bit about the song as well as an untranslatable Brazilian word. Yes, this song is all about empowerment. So we love empowerment. Yeah, so she's saying that her ex is going around saying that she's boring and she's tasteless and that now she's saltless, that she's she's lost it, you know? Mm. And so she says, yes, you're right, but it's a pun, right? Because the word saudade, which is this untranslatable word that I'm going to talk about, is about missing someone, mm. right? And saying sal, sal is also the, the first sounding, saudade. So she's mm -hmm. saying, yes, I am without salt, Without saudade, so I'm not missing you, right? Ooh. And so it's this little twist that she that she offers, and saudade is this perhaps the most iconic untranslatable word in Portuguese mm -hmm. that it cannot just mean missing someone, right? Because mm -hmm. um, saudade is a bittersweet longing. Mm -hmm. It's you can have someone right here, right now, and you love it so much, and you have saudade of it mm -hmm. that you already miss it. Right. It's this fleeting aspect, um, and it's a, my mom would always say, I think that's the best definition, saudade is the love that stays with you, mm. you know, um, so, so <laughs> it's, it's definitely a, a big mood, this sort of mood. <laughs> nostalgia, sort of um, living in a feeling that is at the same time 
heavy and grieving, but also pure and light and loving. So yeah. that's saudade. I've definitely felt it. Listeners, repeat after me. <laughs> saudade. <laughs> See, I'll have saudade of, of our show, oh, of our time oh, together. That's so sweet. This is all boss, guys. We're gonna get a race. <laughs> <laughs> I am no one's boss. <laughs> our boss doesn't even get paid. <laughs> I get paid in self gratification. <laughs> <laughs> There's a topic that I really want to touch on mm. before the show finishes, which is um, mental health. Because I heard Arthur was one of the international orientation leaders that for that welcomed me and Hasai as first years, and he told us about um, that he took a year and a half off of Middlebury after the first year, and mm -hmm. um, just to kind of work on your mental health. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> it's a heavier topic. It is. It is. Um, but also very important, so sorry, I almost just <laughs> fell from the chair <laughs> for those of you who didn't <laughs> get to witness my, <laughs> my it's the emotions. Um, yeah, so I think that um, I've been very vocal about mental health, um, especially since I've come back. And I think that the main thing about it is it's just hard to get the conversation started, you know, I think it's we're talking about personal things and things that people f don't necessarily feel comfortable hearing because mm. there is this this fear of of how profound and how dire it can be right oh, yeah. and so i think um well my personal story is then you know i think from a very young age i i already had a lot of of mental health questions i think my i I first got depressed very early. I, I think I had my first crisis at 13. Mm. And so it's just been a constant, um, a, a repetitive uh, pattern in my life. Um, when I was abroad and in Germany also for two years, I think then there was another, another episode and mm. that carried over, that was in 2016. So it carried over when I came back to Middlebury in 27, for the first time, when I came mm. here the first time in 2017. And then led me to withdraw, um, just not being able to, to be here anymore in a way that was healthy for me. Then I, I took some time off to go back home. And yeah, I think that it's, I think the other day someone asked me, oh yeah, what is something about you that, that people don't necessarily know from looking at you, right? And I think that definitely mental health being this quote, invisible disability, right? It's not something that you can tell. You, you right. can't look at someone and say, oh yeah, there goes a bipolar person. Right. Um, <laughs> like most people wouldn't even necessarily know concretely what a bipolar person would look like, right? right? You'd have stereotypes of like, oh yeah, you're cheerful in the in, uh, breakfast and then by lunchtime you're mm. a psycho. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> no, so but these are, are realities yeah. of, of this stigma, right? And so it's been... It's been a journey um, just coming to terms of that. You know, I mean, I am bipolar and that is a life condition. Um, it's manageable, it's managed, but you know, it's also, you never know what will happen if one day your brain is gonna be like, goodbye. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> in the sense of, <laughs> yeah. of you know, just, um, but I think what's really important is just starting these conversations and mm -hmm. 
Um, it's what I've also tried to do here at Meadowberry in the spring. I, I delivered a speech in the Parker Merrill competition about how I believe that the college should step up and, and improve counseling services and improve residential support and mm -hmm. offer give the, the Res Life team better training to mm -hmm. deal with emotional first aid things. You know, in the end, our life experiences define us for sure. But I, f I would say that they define what defines us further is what we do with them, right? Um, <laughs> Just dropping gold, <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, yes, I, you know, I, I wouldn't even say that being bipolar defines me a lot because for me it's just such a just another thing. Like, oh yeah, I'm wearing socks. Um, not as trivial necessarily, but what I'm trying to say is that. For me, I feel it says a lot more about me that I'm putting my voice out there and mm. starting these conversations mm. and saying, hey, you know, here's my story. Here's how I believed in, in, in that things could get better even when I didn't. And I'm here now and I'm here now in a position where I can't be the voice that will tell someone else, hey, you know, things will get better. Um, and we should all collectively be asking for this, the structures to, to make us get better, you know. And I think that that it goes back to, to what I believe doing in ISO. It's really, it's not about looking at an issue, at a problem and seeing it as such, but it's also saying, what can I do to be a part of it, a part of the solution, mm -hmm. a part of the, and things, there are things that are un, unsolvable, right? I mean, I have no pretension oh, yeah. that ISO is going to solve all these questions and realities that, that we've talked about here today. Mm -hmm. but to look at those things, these big issues, these things that really make us sad and make us think, yes, but why? And not do anything because we think that whatever we do won't fix it. I think that's very, it's a missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to think that I am really putting myself out there to do as much as I can, even if that is just a little, little bit, to be part of of the belief of a better community, of an intentional community, of a place where I feel that people around me can feel comfortable talking about these difficult topics, where they can feel comfortable um, getting support and asking for support, where they feel comfortable being themselves and, and, and feeling proud of the community that they live in, feeling proud and saying, yes, I live here, I go here, I do that. Mm. Um, but what would you say to someone who's probably maybe like an international student who is struggling a bit mentally and they feel like this is not my space and they don't know like who to look for, where to look for to like kind of change that. Because when you feel bad, you kind of just feel helpless and you don't really feel motivation to look for help a lot of times. True. And what would you say to them? I think it's complicated and I think it goes to this other idea that, you know, all these experiences that we're living were living them together right so you know mental health is one thing and being an international student is another thing but you experience them both at yeah. the same time and mm -hmm. that complicates them right yeah. so i think that for international students with the cultural differences with language barriers um it can be very hard even to create uh, a support network right with friends that you feel comfortable enough to do that maybe mm, in your yeah. culture it's even further of a stigma you know to talk about your feelings to feel comfortable doing that and it's not it, it would be very naive of me to come out and say 
yeah, go get help. Go, you know, speak up. Find someone and tell them your problems because things do not work like that. It's not an easy thing, right? It's more complicated it's, than It's that. very hard and very complicated. What I would say is that it's really about finding community and finding places that you can if you even if you can't talk about things even if you don't feel that you can even articulate what you're feeling that you're just in peace with being with those people you know that their presence and in the in itself moves you and provides you with the support and the and the care that you need because that's all we need care and support Thank you to Arthur for coming in today. And we've had a really nice conversation. Yes, thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah, our supreme leader. Guys. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. <laughs> this has been MISO, the Middlebury International Student Organization radio show.